This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I am joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, how was your week being, mate? Um, kind of like Liverpool's up and down, <laughs> had some good moments and had some moments that I'd rather not have to go through again. But yeah, I'm, um, obviously it, I like the fact that we normally have two games to talk about at least, cause it kind of takes some of the emotion out of the analysis. Like I don't want to take emotion out of football, but sometimes you need to take it out of analysis and having two games kind of makes it it's easier to be a little bit more level-headed rather than the roller coaster that often happens over the course of a football season it is yeah um have you recovered yes fully recovered like i'm there might be a cough at some point but i'm not expecting it (laughs) god it's nice to see you back available mate Uh, but like can i say bit like nunez hopefully like (laughs) tiago um but yeah as you say we we're coming at it. It's a bit of a weird season so far, isn't it? In terms of like every time we do seem to record, Liverpool have usually played twice. But I think one of the overriding themes, really, with Liverpool's season, kind of summed up by our podcast, is each time we appear on, Liverpool have usually had one bad result and one good one. Um, and that's the case again this week. Yeah. Obviously, we suffered a loss to uh, Nottingham Forest, and then we go and beat Ajax. So. As usual, we'll try and get the balance right. Um, yeah, we'll see where we go with that. Uh, but I think we'll touch on Forest first, obviously. I mean, it was a game Liverpool should have won. Many people expected Liverpool to win. And I think Klopp's team maybe suggested that, that he thought that team was good enough to beat bottom of the, bottom of the Premier League. Mm. But it didn't work out that way. No, it didn't. And again, I think sometimes, like I was saying before about the emotion in the analysis, in the immediate aftermath, that game felt horrible. It felt like such a low point in the season in terms of the performance. But I've watched it back a couple of times since. And Jurgen Klopp kind of intimated in his press conference before Ajax that he thought Liverpool should have won, that that was his most overriding. He wasn't thinking about the poor performance. He was thinking that we created enough chances to win the game. And we did. We absolutely did. And if you look at the timing of some of those big chances, they all happened before Forrest scored. And Forrest weren't really good. That's the most frustrating thing about that performance is that you want to be fair and you want to say, well, they did everything that they had to do. They got the crowd going and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't really make them do a lot. They didn't never build any pressure. We kind of allowed them into the game for our sloppy play. And... Yeah, it was a game that you absolutely felt like they were going to have to maybe make a battle out of it. And they just weren't there. They weren't up for it. They weren't ready for it. Whether some of them had Wednesday in mind, because if you look at the two games, I feel like everyone would have treated Wednesday as the most important game, considering what was immediately on the line. And footballers are footballers. There's a game in front of them. You play the game in front of you. But... In a season like this, where there's so much, as we said, it's two games every week now, so much coming. You aren't human if you aren't thinking about that a little bit. And I felt like there was compromise in the selection and there was maybe compromise in some of the performances as well. Yeah. If, if you look at Liverpool's team on the day, I mean, obviously it was a bad result, we know that. And uh, the performance wasn't great either, really. But 
there's obvious context around that that I think many people will will overlook when they just look at the scoreline and you know Liverpool got beat one 0 So coming up against Forest, I thought Forest kind of put forward the absolute typical approach that many teams try to use against a team like Liverpool, and that is to basically sit turn behind the ball and to hopefully counter attack into the channels and hopefully create something on the break and score from one of your very few moments that you will enter the defensive third. And that was kind of what happened, really. Um, Liverpool didn't really have the players on the pitch to break down the block that they were presented with. You know, players who are typically responsible for doing that, the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Milner started in place of, Thiago, Curtis Jones started in place of, and... Luis Diaz, Carvalho started in place of no Darwin Nunes to really find those miniature spaces in the penalty box, which is just, you know, it's part of his nature to do that. So I I did think it would be a tricky game as soon as I saw the teams. I was straight away concerned by um, Curtis Jones in the midfield too. I thought that was a, a bold move, but apparently that was made a quarter past five in the morning by Jürgen Klopp <laughs> because uh, Thiago got a, an ear infection. So... It's a difficult one, really, because we're trying to analyse Liverpool, aren't we, lately? And we're, we're trying to be as as blunt and as honest as possible and as fair as possible as well. Yeah. Um, but throughout the season, you, you have to factor in that Klopp's having to make loads and loads of changes he wouldn't otherwise make. Systems are changing, personnel, and it's, it's it has an impact. Whether you, whether you want to mention that or not, it does have an impact. 100% it has an impact because the Curtis Jones in the midfield too is probably the ideal example. I think we've heard a lot from the coaching staff about Jones learning from Thiago and trying to become more of a Thiago-like player. He's still very early on in that stage. I think the idea of him going in and doing that role that Thiago himself is kind of... He wasn't doing it more. I think that's a bit arse right now. I don't think Klopp would have done it in any other circumstances other than, like you said, he had no choice because Thiago wasn't available. The thing I think sometimes where he probably did make a mistake, again, I don't know what the sports science people said, but when you don't have Thiago, for me, you have to have Trent. Like, you you can't go into a game with neither of them if you have one of them available because it's just such a drop-off in terms of, like you say, the creativity. And what made it worse in this Nottingham Forest game is that Forest game plan was to pack the centre of the pitch because they knew that with Carvalho and with Elliot, they're going to want to come inside and they want to create in those little pockets on the edge of the area in the half spaces. So they wanted to pack that area. So there's all this space out on the flanks. And Milner eventually in the second half did start to advance and start to use that space. But for so long, it's just like crying out for Trent. So it's like, look, all this space for you to go and create in. And... Gomez would have been able to find him with that out ball and it would have just made it would have made Forest game plan so much harder to execute. Well, on top of the fact that Trent obviously started on the bench, Thiago wasn't in the team. In addition to that, you had no Joel Matter either. And I think specifically when it comes to building from the back and when you've got a lot of possession, adding a bit of like almost unpredictability. Matip is really useful in that sense. Yeah, and on top of that, he's a threat from set pieces. Whereas Joe Gomez on the ball is a bit more uh, 
well predictable, I suppose. And when it comes to set pieces, he tends to stay back. He doesn't even go yeah. in the penalty box to sign the score. So all in all, looking at the team that Klopp picked, it's we're obviously looking at it with hindsight and injuries played a massive part on this. But it it really wasn't a team for this game. It it, it weren't suited at all. Having said that, Liverpool did create enough specifically from set pieces, probably to put the ball on the net. I mean, specifically the Van Dyke thing. I mean, I don't know what he's doing there, mate. Like, honestly, he must have been sat in the dressing room afterwards just thinking, I could have had a hat trick. I literally could have had yeah. a hat trick and I scored none. Um, and the strange thing about it is, is that there's been a couple of times when other people in games. I think I remember Firmino doing it one time uh, where he was in position to shoot and he passed it, trying to get the oh, the tap in, the, 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 the short thing. And in the end, the last pass ends up going astray. And I don't know whether that's a general confidence thing or whatever, but once it's happened the first time, once he knows that he should have, the header that he tries to find Firmino, he knows he should have gone for goal. But yet there's two other options straight after that in the second half where he does the same thing. And it's like, he needs to trust himself more. And even the one right in the, in, in injury time, you think he's, he's free in the centre of the box. And yes, it's a good yeah. save from Dean Henderson, but he should give him no chance. We've seen so many Virgil headers. I've seen them with my own eyes where the ball comes in and the, the from leaving his head to hitting the net, it's not near anybody. Like no one's got any chance. And, yeah. and he seems to have lost that. I don't know whether he got in his own head about it, but... Also, the irony of the fact that all of the big chances just seem to keep falling to him. Like, it was yeah, one of yeah. those games where, you know, a little deflection here, a little deflection there. I mean, the goal that Forrest scored, I think, obviously, between Gomez giving away the free kick and then what happened around the free kick, that was definitely Liverpool's fault switching off. But there were lots of other moments where it's just like, it just almost, it just almost... And like you say, I think we were trying to maybe take a bit of a risk in terms of who we put out there and how it works. And I think you look at the Forest team and how they applied what they did, the way that they were able to muscle uh, Carvalho and Jones in particular off the ball multiple times, win it back. They they almost feasted on what we gave them. Yeah, I, I actually thought in this game in particular, I thought Carvalho looked a little bit Lightweight is almost the way to use. Um, he did look like a kid, and he and uh, he did look like he was playing amongst men. And in a way, he is a kid. You know, yeah. he, he's still is he twenty, nineteen or something? Yeah, um, 20. yeah. So he, he is still a kid, and, and and the idea when you get players like that in, like a Harvey Elliott and, and things, the idea is you surround those with seasoned pros. And in this game, Liverpool couldn't really do that, and. Um, yeah, it just resulted in Liverpool not being anywhere near as suited or not being anywhere near as capable as they have been in previous years to playing against this standard game plan that so many inferior opponents take up against Liverpool. Where it's just the standard, it was very standard, I thought, what Forrest did. Block yeah. the centre, get you on the break through the channels, make use of a set piece, hopefully. Uh, get tight to the key players. It was very basic, but Liverpool have just coped with that in previous years. Not so much in this game. Um, looking at Van Dijk's head as well, the the very weird one I've got in mind now. Um, I have a theory that maybe Liverpool have almost practiced that. Um, 
in the build-up to the game. And I, I think maybe in the build-up to the game, it's worked where Van Dijk has been a little bit wider and he, he has headed it across and Firmino's finished it or whatever. And I think he tried to do maybe what they'd been working on without realising he was literally in the best possible spot, really. <laughs> um, it could have hit him and gone in. Josh, yeah. it literally could have hit his face and gone in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you literally saw it in six-yard box. It was unbelievable. But one, one of the other unbelievable things about the game, I'm sure I'll be aware of this one, Mo. I had to double-check this one, seen it. So, in the game, Liverpool completed 641 passes, right? That is the second most so far this season for Liverpool, behind only the draw against Palace at Anfield. So, 641 passes, right, completed. Of those 641, six were completed by Mo Salah. Six out of 641, which equates... I can't remember. I'll do the maths in a second, but... It's a that, very that, I mean, small amount. Yeah, it really does capture how Forrest's approach really did mm. work in a defensive sense because Liverpool's best player, you could say, on the day was completely starved, you know, and, and shut out eventually. He was. And, I mean, I think some of that was maybe in frustration started to set in the second half and there were a couple of times where maybe he could have passed and decided to do something else, lost the ball or took a shot on. But you you like you're right. They they were very able to frustrate him. They 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 packed players around him and there was it didn't it did it just kind of didn't feel like there was as much structure in terms of the way the attacking was working when you compare it to the game against Ajax in particular. I think with what we were saying in terms of the kind of make do and men's um, team selection, you've got players. I noticed there were times when whenever Firmino would drop um, into midfield, it would be the responsibility of one of the wide players, either Carvalho or Elliot, to join Salah and make a two. But they never really quite got it right. They were never able to do it at the right time and combine in the way that you saw them do a lot better on Wednesday night. So... I understood Flower's frustration. He did take that knock that in the back. I don't know how much that affected him, but yeah, it's it's a strange one. There are times when Salah himself this season can look like he's just never going to score, but you don't feel like oh he's in a bad run of form. You do feel like the next time he's on the pitch, could be. Yeah, I mean. He's his total accounted for about 0.9 percent of Liverpool's total number of passes on the day, um, and I must say as well that his total of six passes. I mean, he played the full ninety minutes to be fair, which is pretty bad. Um, but Where even the Fabio, kickoff, by the way, um, I don't know actually. That's a good point. <laughs> one, of, one of them might have been a kickoff. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, I was going to say as well that. Fabio Carvalho as well. He only posted eight. So, you know, that's arguably two of Liverpool's creative sparks, you know, two of Liverpool's offensive players combined. And so, I mean, I think Carvalho might have played around an hour or so, but, you know, for, for those two players to come to post a combined total of um of 14 passes completed is a... Uh, it's just kind of summed up the day, really. I... I don't think it was a good one for Liverpool. And although we touched on the fact that Liverpool had 
Um, the odd moment where he could have scored. Um, Forrest posted 1.9. Expected goals, Liverpool posted 1.6. So, Forrest had the edge on the XG. I don't think that will factor in Van Dijk's weird pass because that wasn't a shot technically. But I suppose what we're getting at is, it, again, it wasn't really a good enough performance from Liverpool on the defensive side of the game to win. To win and to get three points or something like that. Um, but you have a theory that Liverpool had Wednesday in mind regarding this game. And when it comes to Wednesday, obviously Nunes came back in. Uh, Henderson, I think, came back in. Trent came back in. And Liverpool won 3-0. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't actually think it was that great of a performance overall. But obviously you take a 3-0 win. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think it really does emphasise the difference between taking your chances and not taking your chances. Because yeah. if you look at the first 40 minutes of both games, uh, if up to the point where Liverpool scored against Ajax, there wasn't a massive amount of difference. We were still struggling to build up play. There were still wide open spaces in midfield at times that Ajax were able to exploit. I think there was a better intensity about our game on Wednesday night. I felt like we, when we did... What often happens when we concede a goal is that there'll be a, a, a row of mistakes. Someone will make one and someone will make another one and another one and then there'll be a goal. This time, there seemed to be one mistake, but not two or three. So the other players were better at getting around. So I did notice that much. But I think, obviously, there was a different emphasis in terms of the midfield. There was more of a diamond. There was more... Uh, Henderson was more drawing out to the left-hand side, Elliot at the right. And then you had Fabinho behind and and uh, Firmino playing as like a 10. So again, it felt like a more, a structure that maybe suited the players in it a little bit better than we what we had on Saturday. But yeah, it was, it, I think that up until the point Liverpool scored, it still could have gone either way. Up, up until the point Liverpool scored, I thought Liverpool were awful. I really did. <laughs> it, was, it was bad, mate. And I, and I, I, Given that's the case, I really try not to be impacted too much by the actual scoreline, um, because I, I I have to think to myself like if that goal hadn't if that shot hadn't found the actual net, mm. and the goalkeeper had saved it, how how would I feel in the moment? And I didn't feel good first half. It felt like a coin flip again. It felt like another nothing performance to be honest, where you're just playing football and and there's, there's no dominance. Both teams are just. Roughly the same level. Um, it just felt like another game where Liverpool were not the dominant team, and I'll just be honest. It's 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 how I think it's going to be until the World Cup. Um, like in in the game, although Liverpool scored three and conceded none, Liverpool's expected goals one point six, Ajax one point two. So just nothing in it again. Really, same as the Forest game, same as the West Ham game. Uh, funnily enough, there was a bit of a gap in the in the in the game against Man City, um, but mo- a lot of games this season, Liverpool haven't really deserved enough to win. But that that's made me think Liverpool are a consistent dominant side. It's just not the case this season anymore, and uh, I don't think it will be the case until a everyone comes back and b the midfield is addressed in the transfer yeah. market. Sadly, I uh, yeah, I I agree. I think. What I saw last night was another new thing that players are trying to adapt to because there was 
some kind of fluidity within that diamond. There were times where Nunes would never necessarily be a left winger, but he would flow out into the left channel and then you'd more have uh, a, a more of a three kind of spread out across the, the pitch. But it just didn't feel like when you're trying to do something new, everyone wasn't sure about where to be when. So you'd find a lot of players in the one cluster and then a big open space. And it just felt a little clunky. And when you're playing your team with the technical ability as Ajax, it can look embarrassing at times. I think that's what we got. But I maintain the difference in the play came from the goal. Because when you think about what was on the line in this game, Liverpool, they're not necessarily good at the moment at playing uh, a, a controlled weather game of football, but they are still good at situational football, particularly in the Champions League. So they knew the importance of the first goal in this game was raised than it would have been in other games because goals counted double. Ajax had to win. Liverpool score, Ajax had to score two. So this time, when they got that chance, they absolutely made sure. You could see... When Henderson saw Salah was in space, the absolute deliberate nature of playing the ball the way he did with the outside of his foot to make sure he got there. And then Salah, was once he was in position, he knew what the goalkeeper kind of helped him. The goalkeeper kind of didn't really account for the spin on the ball and he thought he could come out and get it, realised he couldn't, and then it was too late. So that moment changed the way we played. We were able to start to find our passing at that point. If you look at the move, the, for the for the one where Darwin hit the post, that would have been the goal of the season. Absolute hands down. Like genuinely, go back and watch it. Like it started with Ajax had a throw in right by our touchline in the far corner. Nunes and Firmino won the ball back, gave it to Gomez. Gomez plays the long fifty yard ball out to Robertson. Robertson beats his man, drives through, passes it to Firmino, who's run all that way, who passes it to Nunes, who's also run all that way. And unfortunately, he missed it. So the difference that goal made in everybody, that's what gives me confidence, that we are still able to build off of that. It just means that the kind of repeatable, reliable nature of we are a good team, this is how we play, this is how we're going to go out and win the game. We don't have that at the moment, you're right. Hopefully, we will get it back. But until then, we still have that situational now and the quality to be able to affect games. And I do still think that other teams still believe that the real Liverpool's in there. So once we do get ahead and start to play comfortable football, it affects them as well. Yeah, well, we've seen shades of it, haven't we, this season? I mean, we we hit Bournemouth for nine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beat Manchester City, hit Rangers for seven. Uh, It's been a really weird season, really has so far. I mean, only by the way, in that in that move, only Roberto Firmino passes there. By the way, that's yeah, yeah, you know, unheard of, really, isn't it? I mean, he's, this, he's basically in the centre of the goal, <laughs> around the penalty spot. Nobody anywhere near him, and the man chooses to pass it. And you could even argue it was the right, it was optimal decision to pass it because yeah. he's put Nunes in a probably a higher value position to score, uh, but he hits the post. Um, but yeah, it has been a weird season so far. Um, it was a game against Ajax that I think it was another one of those game of two halves kind of things where first half wasn't great, but then when Liverpool gain a lead and we get this surge in confidence almost that you're touching on, 
mm-hmm. seemed like a little bit of a different team. But by, by the time Liverpool scored their first, I actually easily had two, I thought, by then. I mean, they had the post themselves, didn't they, very, very early on. Yeah. I think Liverpool's first shot came in the 28th minute, I think I'm right in saying. So... It's just, it's a difficult one to assess at the minute because obviously Liverpool just won 3 0, it's great. But I, I'm not, I'm really not convinced. I, I mm. don't want to be a downer, but this is what Alan Nanfield is about for me. Yeah. Um, over the years since we've, we've been recording this podcast, it's generally been really positive. But that's been because Liverpool have consistently been very, very good. And right now, this is the worst I've seen Liverpool since we've been doing this podcast. Um, and I just hope it changes once everyone's back, because I'm aware that's definitely been an issue this season in terms of having the full 11 out. And once we get one or two new midfielders, maybe. I think you're right. I think, like you say, you want to be able to be measured about things. And this season really hasn't allowed for that because not only has there been so much either side, but there's been so many different mitigating factors coming in and out, players coming in and out. And then obviously all of the things that happened over the summer in terms of players not coming in and people even talking about the structure of pre-season and what that effect that's had on the injuries and all these other factors that are coming in and affecting a ship that, like you said, for so many years was so steady. So you struggle to want to kind of pin it down as to one things. So sometimes you just have to kind of base it on what you're seeing. And I'm seeing some players who are improving uh, incredibly despite all of the change. But I'm seeing a lot of players who are struggling, whether that be for fitness or form or both, and are just trying to basically hang on for dear life and just use that muscle memory and that the mentality that we got to speak about so often to kind of drive them through. And you can't rely on that every week because unfortunately that the, the variables of the teams that we're playing and the team that we're putting out is so different. You can't really build up anything, but there are some green shoots in there. I think Harvey Elliott in particular, he got his goal. I've been banging on about his defensive work for the last couple of weeks, but as an attacking force, I felt like he was probably even our brightest spark against Forrest's, like, he seems to be one of those players who, when we play bad, he seems to stick his head up. He's always trying yeah. to do something. And, again, I felt like he was the, the one shot he had against Forrest where he was in that kind of right channel and he hit it hard and, and Henderson saved it. And he thumped the ground because he knew he could have done better. And then he was in the same position against Ajax and he did do better. That's another thing I love about this kid is that he's not letting the bumps affect him in any way other than positive. Yeah, well, it's it's a funny way that that happens, really. You know, when when a lot of clubs go through these turbulent periods, sometimes the the really extended turbulent periods where it's a bit of a decline, a lot of these top clubs, you get these little these little stars, kind of a, rough diamonds, kind of emerging out of the out of the um, problems almost. I think if you if you look at Arsenal a few years back, you you got. Kyle Saka coming out of it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you had Marcus Rashford coming out of Manchester United when they were really struggling at the time. Um, I don't think Liverpool anywhere near that level at the minute, but in terms of Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, and potentially Curtis Jones, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of um, adversity at the minute, and it, it, hopefully it will benefit them moving forward. But mm. you touched on um, on on the injuries there, though. 
What are your thoughts on the actual medical department for Liverpool? Do you do you have any thoughts on that? Because it's, it, I am beginning to wonder that it's in, it's just increasingly weird. I think mm. Liverpool don't have a club doctor. Um, so far this season, I think it was, I think it was nineteen separate players have missed yeah. at least one game so far. Uh, Liverpool far out ahead, I think, of any other club when it comes to injuries. We ha- we have appointed. We appointed Andreas Schlumberger in 2020 to become head of recovery and performance. We appointed Friggs Vanden Oweel <laughs> as head of osteopathy. <laughs> as head of osteopathy. Um, we've got Drone 7 on board who are an artificial intelligence platform, you know, trying to guard against injuries and things, but I don't know, whatever it is, but Liverpool seems to experience a little freak. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's weird because the thing you say when you listen to all of that is that the one thing you can't say about Liverpool is they're not trying to do something about it. They are actively looking for ways to try and do it. So they're aware of it too. And the fact that they've tried all these different things and yet it still seems to be happening. Although, in fairness, last season, it was great. I mean, in terms of injuries, there was a couple here and there, but there were no uh, multiple players in the same positions injured as we've had at other times in other seasons. But it really has to come down to the training, if you think about it. If you're changing all of the medical methods, I don't know whether or not we are changing the training as well. But that would be what I think. In terms of how the preseason structured, how you load the players up with the necessary kind of uh, miles in their legs and their bodies to be able to take the wear and tear of the season. Whether they changed it because of the load they'd had in the season before, whether they tried to put more in because of the load that they knew that they were going to have with the World Cup as well, whether they made a, a change because of that, maybe they didn't make a change because of that. These are all factors that could have made a massive difference in terms of how we prepare our players and how they are not necessarily able to sustain it. But some people look at the, the players themselves and say, oh, well, this one's injury prone, that one's injury prone. A lot of them weren't before they came to Liverpool. <laughs> so, again, it's, it's really hard to kind of make a hard and fast decision. But once it starts to affect you for this long and it becomes this important, you have to try to find some solution to it. I don't know whether it's anything other than the transfer market in the short term, but in the long term, maybe we will have to start looking at our training methods. Maybe we're going to have to start breaking everything down and rebuilding it, looking at every, forensically looking at every single part of what we do to try and find it. Yeah, there was, a, there was an insistent piece in The Athletic a few weeks ago um, on Liverpool's medical department and like the, the inner workings and there seems to be a fair bit of conflict in there, really. Dif- lots of different ideas. Uh, obviously, Andreas Kornmeier, as as Klopp's head of fitness, is is kind of the leading voice, if you like. But there's kind of it sounds like there's a fair bit of conflict in there. There's a how things should be working, maybe. And you know, it, I, I don't know if you just, if you look at Arsenal this season, for example, that Arsenal having a great season. Obviously, I'm, I've just got up their team for the the last game that they played against Southampton in the Premier League. So, of this 11, 10 of them I, I've just played every week. 
So Aaron Ramsdale, Tommy Yasu is the one who maybe doesn't. But then you've got Gabriel Saliba, Ben White, Odegaard, Thomas Party, um, Jaque, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. And if you think of when Liverpool really stormed the Premier League, again, it was the same team every week. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, it is a massive factor that you do have to, well, factor in. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that Klopp, weirdly now, every 18 months, seems to be really suffering on the back of these crazy crisis things. Mm. And, you know, it's to the extent that his job almost gets talked about, which we know is daft, but it's whatever it is, it's weird. And, you know, it's if there's, if there's anything behind it, I don't know, but it's weird. It's, it, it... It is weird because you look at the kind of the way that when we were successful and you think, well, it was probably working then. So why is it not working now? But then you think about the kind of players we had through the spine of that team. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, Jeannie Wijnaldum, Salah Mane. These are players who are there all the time and doing the work of more than one player a lot of the time within that system. So when you've got kind of a few supermen in your team, you can maybe cover for some of the other people breaking down a little bit more regularly. But obviously, Mane's not there anymore. Uh, Wijnaldum's not there anymore. Salah and Van Dijk have suffered a little bit in recent times. And suddenly, it all looks a very different picture. So, And for Arsenal, Arsenal are a really good example. Because if you look at last season, that was what their struggles were. They weren't able to keep their, their first-choice defence on the pitch. People were going down with injuries. Kieran Tierney, quite a few times, Tommy Asu himself. And now he's got a structure and now he's got a first 11 that all know their jobs and now they're reaping the benefits. Klopp himself even mentioned that in his pre-Arsenal conference. Well, at the same time he was talking about Liverpool being unpredictable, he was saying the fact that Arsenal have got that steady, settled side has really helped them. And he would love to have it too. <laughs> it's just that it's unfortunately unavailable to him right now. Yeah, it's it's not really a coincidence that if, if you look at last season, you know, Liverpool came really close to securing a quadruple um, Champions League final, over 90 points in the Premier League. And that is largely because, for the most part, he, he had everybody available. There was no major injury issues last season on the top of my head, um, apart from Thiago picking up a few knocks. But it's, it, it is a massive influence and factor, and... It's not necessarily an excuse. It's it's an influence. It's an excuse, I suppose, if it starts coming from inside. But as us com- coming at it from like an analyst's perspective, come from the outside, it's definitely a reason why Liverpool aren't performing at their usual level. But in terms of the Champions League, Mo, obviously Liverpool are through now. Um, is that maybe a competition Liverpool could do well in the season? Maybe maybe Liverpool could target it. You touched on the fact that. It doesn't really come around now until is it February or, or something. So yeah. Liverpool could have a new system by then, could have a new midfield by then, could have everybody back. So it's I don't think we've looked anywhere near good enough yet to win it. Yeah. But I'm just thinking by then it doesn't really it never you're never as far away as you think. So it, if Liverpool do well in the markets or or get a few players back, you know, things could turn around pretty quickly there just in time for the Champions League run. I mean, Real Madrid literally do it every year. I mean, they <laughs> lost the Sheriff in the group stages last season in one of their yeah, first yeah. two games. So that's what a lot of, like I was saying before, about once you've got that muscle memory and that now, that situational football, 
then that can really come in handy, particularly when you get to the knockout stages. But yeah, Liverpool are one of those teams who could benefit from being a very different team between um, December and February. We've seen it with some of the other teams going the other way. And I think in terms of the draw, that can also come into it as well. So obviously it's going to be an uphill battle for Liverpool to finish top of the group. They just have to beat Napoli 4-0, which is probably not going to happen. (laughs) So you're looking at trying to avoid your Bayern Munichs and your Real Madrid. Obviously PSG are another team in there that would be a difficult tie, but as you say, with so much time and space, and let's not forget a World Cup in between, there is so many variables between what teams are now going to be and what they'll be then. That I think that if you're Liverpool, if you've got the quality in that squad, you've got that now, you just need the structure and the confidence to return, then you can feel confident. Because again, it's something that you don't have to immediately worry about. It's in the background waiting for you while you get yourself back uh, back right in, in terms of being an elite football team. Yeah, just having a quick look at the groups. Obviously, there's still one game left, so things can change. But as it stands, if Liverpool finish second, they could be drawn against Bayern Munich, Club Bruges, Real Madrid, PSG. That's that's it at the minute. Um, Sporting could go top of the Spurs group. Antrecht Frankfurt could go top of the Spurs group as well, so they, they could be in with a shout. Porto could leapfrog. Bruges, which will probably happen, and we'll probably draw a Porto event of the past couple of years. Event to go away. Benfica could t- overtake PSG as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Benfica having a good season in the Champions League. Yeah. So um, we we will come back to that one, obviously further down the line. Once to look forward to maybe hopefully Liverpool will have a different side by then. Hmm. Um, and we have Leeds United this weekend, which I think is a uh, is quite interesting considering. So far this season, Leeds and Liverpool are both in the top three in the Premier League for big chances faced. Uh, a big chances is, for a bit of perspective, that's uh, basically a chance in which the player should reasonably be expected to score. So, you know, you can picture what that looks like in your head. Liverpool and Leeds are in the top three in the Premier League this season for that. So it could be a bit of a chaotic game. And Liverpool have had those in the past against uh, Jesse Marsh. And Leeds. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's interesting because um, Liverpool against Leeds always means a little bit more to me because my sister, my older sister, is a Leeds United fan. And this game in particular, because we are going to be going together for the first time ever to watch the game live. So there's a little bit more riding on it for me than there may have been previously. But I know Leeds very well from having watched it through vicariously through my sister's eyes. And they are pure chaos, which <laughs> when you put it together with the way Liverpool are playing right now is just, uh, I mean, whoever you are, watch this game. Honestly, watch this game. And it's on a Saturday night. It's, it's going to be it's gonna be crazy. But in terms of being able to predict what Leeds are going to do, I think Jesse Marsh's teams have got a template. It does depend a lot on their energy and it does depend upon them taking the chances that they do get. So... From a defensive perspective, we're going to need to be on our metal. But I do think if you look at the other end of the pitch, attackers, if both teams are going to be giving up big chances, I'd back us to score more than them. Yeah, they're, they're a team that aren't in form at the minute. 
Uh, Liverpool obviously playing at Anfield and Leeds haven't won a game since late August. Like, and that was against Barnsley <laughs> in the, um, the Carabao Cup. Before that, obviously, they beat Chelsea 3-0. But since then, they've had a, a turbulent run and they've lost four in a row. Uh, those losses have came against Fulham, Leicester, Arsenal and Palace. And yeah, it's a game Liverpool should win, really. Leeds could cause Liverpool issues by by we know he's going to press high and we we know he's going to try and force Liverpool into mistakes. Mm-hmm. Jesse Mars generally is better suited to facing, um, is better suited to being the underdog really, similar to Klopp in that sense. A little bit when he was uh, first emerging as a coach, so it'd be nice if we had Thiago for that game. It'd be nice if we had Trent for that game. You know those players in deeper areas who are a bit more comfortable on the ball, but. Yeah, it could be a chaotic one, but hopefully Liverpool. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at it. The way I'm looking at it is, I think Liverpool just needs to kind of get to the World Cup in a yeah. still in with a shout of things because in terms of analysing Liverpool's performances, then they're, they're not there at the minute, and no. it, it doesn't look like they're gonna be. So, just try and get the results there until the World Cup starts, and then have a massive rethink, I suppose, in uh, in Dubai. Yeah, and just a reset, if nothing else. But I think the other thing we got to remember within that, in terms of being able to hang on for the World Cup, is that everybody else is kind of doing that as well, if you look at it. I mean, we kind of focused in on our result against Forest at the weekend, but no, well, apart from, I think, Man City and Newcastle, no one else in the top seven won. So everybody is still dropping points. So they're not getting ahead. Of, they're not getting over the hill. I mean, you look at Arsenal and you think that the gap's large. Uh, and obviously Man City are Man City. So that looks like a large gap. I think everybody else is still catchable immediately. And I think Arsenal may ultimately be catchable as well later on in the season. So from that perspective, we just need to keep a calm head, win the games we absolutely have to win, avoid defeat against Spurs, I think that's what I, I'm. I'd take seven points from the next three games for the World Cup if you gave them to me right now. I would take them and I would say thank you very much. And I imagine that everyone in the squad would say the same. Yeah, well, Liverpool have got five games in total remaining between now and the World Cup starting um, in all competitions. That is, one of them is against Napoli, which doesn't really matter. One of them is against Derby in the um, Carabao Cup. And four out of the five are all at home. Um, I think it's interesting that the Spurs game is is obviously the toughest game, mm-hmm. but the Spurs game just before the Spurs game we have Napoli in a game that doesn't matter, and Spurs have away at Marseille, away at Marseille in a game that definitely does matter. Their yes. their group their group is crazy at the minute. It so is. The the schedule looks the calendar looks nice for us there. You know if we're gonna find a way of just closing out these results between now and the World Cup. There's enough there in the schedule for Liverpool to do that, but you know, hopefully it happens. But, Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. No worries, no worries. It's been fun. I hope everyone else has enjoyed a little madness as much as we have. and <laughs> They're going to have to because it's, it's set to continue at least for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we have no choice. It's uh, it's an absolute rollercoaster of a season so far. Every week, it's uh, it could be a loss, could be a draw, could be a win, and it's very different to, you know, a few years back where every single week we were just talking about the win and it was just comfortable, it was easy. 
Hey, we get to exercise our tactical brains a little bit more this time, though, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen the other listeners say actually that the, he actually, or whoever it was, said that they, they actually prefer when Liverpool don't do that well because the podcast is, is essentially more interesting because we've got a problem solve on the spot almost rather than just saying everything's rosy. Uh, but I'd still rather Liverpool win, I'll be, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if it's another 6 0, I'll be very, very happy on Saturday. <laughs> trust me. Yeah, same. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us, Mo. And uh, we will be back next week. So, do tune in then. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.